I want to begin with this question this morning. Um, what does a successful life look like to you? What is a, what is a successful life really look like to you? How would you describe that? I just want to tell you a little bit about my story this morning. I've been around here for a while now, and most of you know that I used to farm. In fact, I did that for about 18 years uh, before going into ministry, but I've never really told anyone a whole lot about, you know, the detail of that, and so I I just wanted to give you a little bit of that this morning. Um, I was actually uh, born, started out, born and raised on my my dad's farm, and um, Apart from three or four years, I was actually uh, always lived there uh, until I moved down here. And so um, that's, that's where we started out. But really, for me, my, my farming career was really in many ways um, uh, just kind of, a, kind of a series of, you know, seizing an opportunity that came along and then kind of stepping up with that. And uh, so, as I said, we started out on my dad's farm. It was like 100 acres and... Uh, working off the farm at the time, and I never forget there was a, there was a farm up the road that come up for rent, a number of farms around us being sold at the time, and it was 100 acres, it was probably the hilliest farm in the whole, uh, in the whole county, some of the poorest land, but uh, anyway, it come up for rent, and I thought, you know what, here's an opportunity to get a little bigger, so I, so I, so I rented that farm, and so we went from 100 acres uh, to 200 acres. And uh, then there was a number of farms around us. Uh, We had a a large operation of about nine farms around us. uh, And they actually went bankrupt. And so there was all these farms come up for sale. And a number of them power of sale. And there was a rather unique opportunity because what was happening was uh, people from the city were looking to buy up there in the country. And uh, so they would come up and they'd be buying up these farms. And they'd be looking for someone to rent the land. And so one farm would sell, and another farm would sell, and I'd go to the person, and I'd, you know, see if we could rent the land, and sure enough, before long, we went to from, you know, went from 200 acres up to about, up to about 500 acres uh, fairly quickly. And uh, we actually had a neighbor, he was uh, president of the Sky Dome down here when they built it, and bought a, a parcel of about 325 acres up there, and got to know him a little bit and got talking to him, Chuck Magwood, and uh, wondered if I could rent his land. And sure enough, he said, you know, you can rent this land. And so, I, and so I took a step up. It was just an opportunity to step up. So up to about 800 acres, and then these, these farms around us, some of them were power of sale, and we looked at one down the road, and uh, we thought, you know what, we could maybe buy that farm. Don't know how we'll ever pay for it, but great opportunity, power of sale. Bought that farm, took a step up. We're now, you know, we had a couple hundred acres that we owned, and, uh, and, and all this rented land. And so that continued, and we, we got a lot of the farms around us, and then, uh, and then we started to go out you know, more towards Stainer, out more toward the town, and uh, got some farms out there. And so we went from 1,000 acres to like 1,500 acres to like 1,800 acres, and I was climbing the ladder of success at the time, or what I would call, what I would have called at the time, the ladder of success. Remember the first tractor we had? It was an old Newfield, 65 horse. If anybody knows anything about tractors, it was this old junker of a tractor. It had a loader on it that was all welded up, and the thing was always breaking and falling off. And, but it was okay. When we had 100 acres, that tractor was okay. I was working at a Ford dealer at a time, and there was a nice little Ford tractor come in there with a cab on it. it. had air conditioning in the cab, a radio. This was awesome. Bought the Ford tractor, took a step up. 
And uh, so then we got a bit more land, and it was like, you know, that Ford was 65 horse, not big enough, so, so I needed something bigger. I bought an old 2 plus 2, one of those big articulate, and so we had two tractors, and it was kind of a step up. And uh, as time went on, you know, those old tractors were okay, but as we got more land, they started to give trouble, and they would break down. And so I remember, you know, our first time we, we went and we bought two, actually two brand new tractors. We needed something bigger, and so, and so it was like this step up. We took a step up in regard to the tractors. And uh, as time went on, we, we continued to do that. We would get, you know, something a little bigger and a little bigger, and there was more land came available, and so we got a bit more land, so we got a bit more tractor. And remember one time we went in, and we actually bought two tractors and a combine and a, and a, and a corn planter all in one deal, and it was like this step up. And people were beginning to talk about this, you know. It was like, wow, he's, they're doing okay out there. That's incredible, you know, getting all that new machinery. And, and, and all, of, all along, we felt like we were climbing this ladder of success on our way to the top. We started out with about 10 cows, probably 10 of the toughest, poorest old cows uh, in the county. We got a farm down the road, and uh, one of these farms that were rented, and there was about 60 acres of beautiful pasture ground. So what do you do with pasture? You buy some more cows. So we went from 10 cows to about 40 cows or 50 cows just really, really quickly, and we begin to buy more cattle. And uh, so we filled up that pasture, and then when we bought that farm that I was talking about, there was about 15 acres there that would work for pasture, so we fenced it, and we bought some more cows, bought about another 10 cows for over there, and we were up to like 50 or 60 cows, and we started climbing the number of cows that we had. We got up to 80 or 90 cows, I bought some purebred cows, and uh, went to a sale one night and, and bought a bunch of them, and so we began to climb, and, and in regard to the cattle business, felt like we were climbing the ladder of success. We were getting up, we were getting bigger. Now, most of you will have your own ladder story. I, I think, um, you know, of those of you who now have a house, but you didn't start out with a house, right? You were living with your mom and dad, and it was like time to get out, and so this little old, you know, one-room dumpy apartment someplace is probably what you moved into initially for a lot of us and, and so that's where we started out but then we got a job right and we were able to earn a bit more money and there's a nice little two-bedroom down the street so yeah we move out of the dump we move into the two-bedroom and we start, start to take a step up and, uh, and, and then, you know, something else, a condo comes, you got a couple floors, two or three bedrooms, and yeah, we can afford that, and you begin to take another step up. And then, and then you find someone, right, and you get married, and uh, it's like we're going to buy a house, this is a big step up to buy a house, right, and you find this little old house that needs all kind of, kinds of work, and so you, you buy this house, and you begin to step up, and you begin to make improvements in that house. And as time goes on, you have kids, and you need a bigger house, and you start climbing the ladder of success. You start climbing up. Many of you, that's your story. Others in business, it's happened. You know, you, um, you started out in a little backroom office somewhere. And nobody noticed you at first. But then they begin to realize this person has some potential. And one day they brought you to the front office. And you took a step up in business. For lots of you, that's your story. You start to take a step up. They begin to notice you have some ability. And you know what? This guy would maybe work in management, in leadership. And so you take another step up. And uh, you, you, you work your way up in the company to as far as you go. And then you realize there's another company down the road. I could maybe buy that company. I could own that company. And so you, you step up and you buy a company. And then, you know, before you realize it, you get some good contracts. And you need some people working for you. And you start climbing up. And you start climbing up. And you think you're climbing the ladder of success all the time. Many of us 
That's our story. But my question this morning, my question is this. What does a successful life look like? What does a successful life really look like? I mean, getting to the top of the ladder, is that it? Because see, here's what I've discovered. The further up the ladder people go, the further up the stress level goes, and the further down the joy level goes. Now that isn't always the case, but often, often, it's the way. And I can honestly say that because I've been there, because I've done that, I've made that journey. And folks, I'll tell you this morning, I was a whole lot happier farming at 200 acres than I ever was at 2,000 acres. I'm telling you, it was the reality. I was just a whole lot happier with that old tractor, no payments, than what I was when I so-called made it up there. But some of you would say, well, for me, it's going to be different. You know, it's going to be different for me. It's, it's just going to be different. And, and my response would be to say, no, no, probably it won't be any different for you either. And you want to know why I know that? Because if it's joy and true success that you're after, it's not up there. It's not up at the top of the ladder. And so what I want to do with our time together here this morning is to just consider for a few minutes a very different model, a very countercultural model in many ways, uh, of a successful life. And it's here in the book of Philippians chapter 2. The book of Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. If you don't, it's in the Pew Bible, page 815. And uh, we're just going to basically pick up where we left off last Sunday. We got started into some of this, and uh, we just want to carry on with that. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to kind of begin there at verse 5. But just imagine, (coughs) excuse me, imagine this scene with me uh, for a moment, what's happening here in the book of Philippians. Uh, This group of believers have gathered this morning in someone's house. They've gathered together to worship, to pray together, to, uh, you know, study God's word together, do those kinds of things. But this morning when they come into the house, there's great excitement here because the word has got out that they've just received another letter from the Apostle Paul. And so someone stands up to read this. That's what Philippians is. This is a letter that was sent from Paul in prison to the church at Philippi. And so you got this guy standing up there, and he's going to read this letter to this group that's gathered in his living room. And they get through the introduction, and Paul begins to talk about how to experience true and lasting joy, uh, how to find unity in the church, uh, how to experience the joy of working together uh, in community, working together for God's glory. And in many ways, um, Philippians is a letter about how to live a successful life, or or how to have a successful life. He's already said some pretty countercultural things here. In fact, let me just start at verse 3 just to kind of set the context. Now, we talked about these last week, but listen to some of the things Paul has said in this letter. Picture that scene as this guy's standing up there reading this. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, I don't know for sure, but my guess is that some of the people in that room were probably asking the question, all right, so how am I supposed to do this? I mean, how do I really live this out? Because look, if I, if I do this, if I start looking out for the interests of other people, who, who's going to take care of me? How am I ever going to get ahead? How am I ever going to get up that ladder? How am I ever going to get where I want to be if I'm looking out for the interests of other people? And so they're like, Paul, you've got to give me an example of what this looks like. Show me. What does this even look like, what you're talking about here? So Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he anticipates that coming. And he says this in verse 5. He says, look, here's, here's the perfect example of what this looks like, of what a truly successful life looks like. If you really want to get to the top of the ladder and find joy and success up there, here's the model. It's the example set for us by Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, here in the book of Philippians, we have this, this, this incredible, complete, profound description of who Jesus is. It, it's one of the most complete, uh, deepest theological sections in all of God's Word. Just kind of, here it is. Who Jesus is, what Jesus really did. And it begins here in verse 5. Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In other words, as a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, this is how you're to live. This is the attitude you need in order to live this out. Now, I'll just tell you right up front here, there's an incredible result coming, all right? There's an incredible result coming. The end result of living this way is phenomenal. You need to know that. And I say that because what I'm about to present to you here is going to seem really, really strange. I mean, it's going to seem completely backwards because what Jesus models is the way to the top is actually to climb down the ladder. Sounds very strange. True joy, Jesus would say, true joy and success isn't found in climbing up, it's found in climbing down. So I want you to keep an open mind here. There's a good result coming. Just allow me to present to you five uh, countercultural choices uh, that ultimately model for us what getting to the top of the ladder looks like in God's economy. In God's economy. Paul's writing to the church. He says, church, your attitude needs to be like this. Five choices. Here's the first one. Make note of it. Jesus chose to let go of his personal rights. Chose to let go of his personal rights. Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, in order to really get this, first of all, you need to understand here here, who Jesus really is. Notice it says there, he was in very nature God. 
He was in very nature God. Some of your translations will say they're being in the form of God. But so important to realize Jesus didn't just look like God. He wasn't just in the form of God. Jesus was in very nature God. Before he ever entered this world, Jesus was fully God. That's important. Interesting, two different Greek words here. Uh, Both translate into form in English. Uh, And the first one is schema. And schema refers to uh, outward form or 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 appearance. It's kind of like the church pews have the same schema as chairs. They're not the same as chairs, but they have the same form as a chair. The schema uh, is the same. But the word that's used here referring to Jesus is the Greek word morphe. And morphe really has nothing to do with shape or size. Morphe refers to the unchanging character of something. It's kind of like a car. A car comes in many different shapes and forms and sizes and colors, but the morphe of a car is that a car is still a car. It's its very nature to be a car. It's the unchanging characteristic. Outward change, but inwardly, it's still a car. It's still the same. That part remains Unchangeable, And so when it says here, uh, Jesus was in very nature God, he was in very uh, morphe God, what this means is uh, he didn't just have an appearance of God, he didn't just look like God, but he was in very character, fully God. Now you say, Jim, you know, <laughs> why do I need to know all this? Why are you making such a big deal out of this word? And my answer to that is, is simply... Unless you grasp that reality, unless you get the reality, like John said, that that Jesus was with God and he was God from the very beginning. See, unless you get that, you never come to fully appreciate what Jesus did for you and I. Who Jesus is, the fact that he was God in the very beginning, it's critical. See, Jesus didn't begin in a manger. So many people think, oh, that's where it all started. But it wasn't like that. You need to understand he was fully God. He was with God in the very beginning. That's that's vital. And so there's Jesus, fully God. With that understanding, notice it says, uh, even though he was in very nature God, He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, Jesus had, listen to me, Jesus had every right to hang on to what was his. Jesus was equal to God. He had every right. It was his entitlement. It was his right to remain in heaven. Now, we hear those words all the time today. You know, I I have my rights. You don't understand. I have my rights here. We hear that all the time. I have my entitlement. I'm entitled to my rights. Sometimes it's even an attitude that creeps into the church, and this attitude that says, you know what? I, I deserve better. I deserve to be treated better. I have my rights. I deserve some, some respect around here. Nobody notices what I do. I don't even know why I do this. Do they not realize who I am? I have my rights here. I don't need to do this stuff. 
I have my rights. You think about that for a second. How much relational division is caused in this world by people demanding their rights? You think about that. The amount of strife that comes into relationship. Because everybody, you know, they want my, I have my rights. She's going to treat me that way? Fine, forget her. I have my rights. If he's going to be that way, well, forget that. I have my rights. We do that often. Jesus' example here says, no, you, you want to live a joy-filled life? Listen, learn to let go of personal rights for the good of others. Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He let go of that. Paul says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Letting go of personal rights. Number two, Jesus chose to make himself nothing. He chose to make himself nothing. Notice what it says here, verse 6. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but what? But made himself nothing. Made himself nothing. Now just think about that phrase for a minute made himself nothing. Other translations there say he made himself of no reputation. Uh, New American Standard says uh, he emptied himself. But what's that mean exactly? What's it mean that Jesus made himself nothing? What did Jesus let go of? First of all, important to realize that Jesus never abandoned his deity. While Jesus walked on this earth, he was still fully God. It was his character. He was fully God, even while on this earth. That's why he ultimately went to the cross. That's why the Jews put him there, because he made that claim. He claimed that he was equal with God, and it was blasphemy. And so they nailed him to the cross. But see, here's what I want you to get. Here's the amazing part. Even though he was fully God, he chose to lay aside the privileges of that. He chose to let that go. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, Though he was rich, and indeed he was in heaven, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. See, Jesus chose to make himself nothing. Now you think about the implications of that for a second. The adoration of the angels in heaven as Jesus sat on the throne of heaven. The adoration of the angels, day after day, Jesus chose to let go of that. The complete authority of the universe, the controls at Jesus' fingertips, he chose to let go of that. That intimate, face-to-face relationship Jesus had with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, that beautiful community in heaven, Jesus chose to let go of that. That ability to be everywhere at one time. Jesus chose to let go of that. The riches of heaven, all that that was and and meant, Jesus chose to let go of that. And he made himself nothing. Now remember how we started. You want to find joy and success? You want to make it up there? You want to get to the top of the ladder? Paul says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He chose to let go of his personal rights. He chose to make himself nothing. Number three, he chose to serve. Jesus chose to serve. Notice verse 7. 
but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of the servant. There's that morphe word again, nature. In other words, Jesus didn't just look like a servant. He didn't just sit around pretending he was a servant. He became a servant. He took on that very position of a servant. Friends, listen, this is Almighty God we're talking about here. He was fully God in the beginning. And he chose to serve. He chose to be the waiter in the restaurant. He chose to be the gas station attendant. Creator serving creation. No expectation of payback. In fact, if you're a servant, the expectation is on you to serve. Friends, that's the attitude of Jesus Christ. And if you're looking for joy and you're searching for success and you want to get to the top of the ladder, let me ask you something. Who have you served lately? Who have you served lately? Just for the sake of serving. Nothing in it. No recognition. Just serving. See, that's the way it works in God's economy. We had two ladies here at the funeral, and I won't mention their names this afternoon because they'd be embarrassed, but they were here yesterday afternoon, a beautiful Saturday afternoon in the summer. What else would you want to do but spend your Saturday afternoon in the summer working in the church basement, you know, dishing out sandwiches and cutting sa- and serving, serving, serving. What incredible servant hearts. Jesus chose to serve. He took on the very nature of a servant. Notice that next phrase, made in human likeness. Just think about that for a second. Jesus, God in heaven, coming to this place, coming to this world and being made in human likeness. Someone has said the sovereign of the universe became umbilically dependent. I like that. The sovereign of the universe became umbilically dependent. Friends, I I don't know about you, but that, that boggles my mind to think about that. That Jesus, God in heaven, would choose to enter the womb of a human being. A place of total dependence on his creation. That blows me away to think of that. Imagine... The baby Jesus, learning to feed himself, having his diaper changed. He grew up having to clean his bedroom. He'd know what it was to stub his toe in the middle of the night. Jesus knows. You ever do that? Jesus knows what it feels like. He's been here. He had to go through all the challenges of the teenage years. What an incredible picture of God's love, that Jesus would choose that, that he would choose that. And Paul says to us this morning, your attitude needs to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He let go of personal rights. He made himself nothing. He chose to serve. Notice this fourth thing, he chose to humble himself. 
chose to humble himself. Verse 8, it says, In being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. In other words, even after God came all the way to this earth, even after he did all of that, taking on the very nature of a servant, taking on the very base existence of a human being, even after he does all that, still he has to humble himself even further and go to the cross, suffer the mockery, the, the, the ridicule, the beatings, the, the agony of that. How incredible. How incredible that God would do that. And this idea that my life needs to somehow be about me pr- promoting my own self-interest. This idea that my life needs to be about how am I going to navigate the ladder of success. This idea that my life needs to be about me and how am I going to get ahead. And what I want and what I deserve. Paul says this morning, listen up, church. You want to find joy? You want to find true happiness? You want to find true success? Your attitude needs to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He let go of personal rights. He let them go. He made himself nothing. He chose to serve. He chose to humble himself. Finally, he chose obedience to God, regardless of the cost. Verse 8, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Ancient writers used to say that to die on a cross was to die a thousand times before you take your last breath. It was to die a thousand times over. It was that bad. And to think that Jesus chose that. that he chose obedience there in the garden, knowing what it meant, knowing what it would cost. And yet Paul says to us this morning, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Totally dependent. Well, that's the model. I told you up front it was going to be totally countercultural, and I... Still believe it is. I mean, so much of this goes against the grain of... Who does this? So much of it goes against the grain of modern society. In a world where everybody is trying to get to the top. I mean, that's just what you do. Everybody does that. In a world like that, how bizarre that Jesus would say, no, 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 you want to find joy, you want to find success, try doing it this way. Try doing it that way. So often we think, you know what, I have to have it all here and now. I've only got so many years to get this done. We've only got, what, 30, 40 good working years? I've only got so long to get this done, and I've I got to get it done. I've I, I got to have it here and now. I've got to do whatever it takes. I've I got to get to the top somehow. I've I got to make it. And so often when people get to the top, they realize, you know what, here I am. I'm standing up here, and you know what, this isn't it. This isn't it. This wasn't what I was looking for. And you look at their lives and you look at the carnage that they've left behind. Broken homes, broken marriages, broken relationships, children that want nothing to do with them because you had no time for me when I was a young person. You were too busy trying to get up the ladder. God says, loved ones, let me show you something different. Let me show you the result of living a different way. Let me show you the result 
of following a different model. I want to show you how to get ahead in my economy, God says. And he gives us that model of Jesus as a selfless servant. And just notice quickly what he says here in verse 9. Here's the result of a life lived that way. Notice the first word of this next verse. Verse 9. Maybe I haven't got it up there. The word is therefore. 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 After he gives this model, therefore. In other words, because of what Jesus did, therefore God exalted him. God exalted him. Now I need to be really clear. What follows here is different than what it'll be for us because obviously we're not Jesus. But listen, listen. Scripture makes it really, really clear that if we humble ourselves, God will exalt us one day. He will lift us up. Now so often we don't want to, you know, we don't want to come across, oh, I'm not doing this for, for the exaltation. And the reality is Jesus didn't do what he did to be exalted either. He did it out of his love. And we're to serve because we love God. But the reality is a day of reward is coming. A day of exaltation is coming. James 4.10 Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will lift you up in honor. 1 Peter 5.6 Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. It says here, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, the reality is all of history is going headlong toward that divine appointment. That day when every knee will bow. That day when every tongue will confess. We're all headed there. We're all headed to that appointment. The reality is, regardless of how I've lived my life, whether I've gone up the ladder, down the ladder, sideways, regardless of how I've lived my life, I'm going to say those words. I'm going to bend the knee. Jesus Christ is Lord. We'll say that. But see, at that point, there's going to be a big difference in God's response. And those who, follow, who chose to follow Jesus Christ in this life, who chose to model their lives after Jesus Christ, who chose to accept Him as Savior, but not only that, chose to live for Him as Lord, for those it will be a great day of celebration. To hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, well done. Well done. You, you lived your life full out for Jesus Christ. You, you, even, you even partly understood that countercultural mo- model. Well done. Well done. A- enter into the joy of the Lord. Friends, what could be better than that? What could be better than that? The result of a life lived following the example of Jesus Christ. Choosing, choosing 
let go of my personal rights. I let go of my personal rights. I choose to make myself nothing. What does that look like in your life? I choose to make myself nothing. I choose to serve. I choose to serve. What does that look like in your life? I choose to humble myself. I choose to humble myself. And I choose total obedience. Total obedience to God. Friends, that's a countercultural message of God's word this morning. And you do with it what you will. I'm telling you, I struggled with this message all week because it's like, who lives like this? Who does that? And what challenged my heart was, you need to be living like that, Jim. That's the model of God's word. We say we're followers of Jesus Christ, but he's going that way and I'm heading this way. Not real good followership there, is it? And his model is that the way up is down. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word this morning. I thank you for the incredible example that you have shown to us, that you have given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, so often we say we want to follow you, we want to do what you want us to do until it becomes hard until there's a cost involved, until it means I may have to take a step down the ladder, and I've been trying so hard to get up here. And so, Lord, would you help us this week? Help us to put that into practice. Lord, we recognize we live in a world that screams the opposite to what your word teaches us this morning. And, Lord, we can't do this on our own, but we cry out to you this morning. We say, Lord, we humble ourselves, and we want to be obedient in these areas. We want to be obedient. Holy Spirit, would you help us do that? Would you help us to figure out what this looks like in our own lives this week? In Jesus' name, amen.